You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Robert, and I am here with my co-host, Tony, and we are hosting the 2023 Iditarod coverage here on Mushing Radio on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. Make sure you check out our website at firstpaw.media and search for us under the same name on all social media. Tony, how's it going tonight? Uh, Going really well. I actually got some decent sleep and could have slept longer if a little pug dog didn't think breakfast was so important. Uh, Looking outside right now, snow is quickly melting off of my roof, and so I'm looking at a very slushy mess in a couple of days. But uh, spring is starting to come around for South Central Alaska, just as it always does this time of year at Iditarod. Yeah, and we have a trail report uh, in just a few minutes about uh, how the teams are needing to rest during the day because of those warm temperatures. But as at the time that we're recording this, we're a little bit over a day into the race. A lot of teams are really making their way up the trail. A good portion of the group is either in and out of Rainy Pass or in and out of Finger Lake. So they are definitely cruising down the trail. But before we jump into this, Tony, of course, there there is a time where we always have to mention don't worry too much. It's only the first day. And just because your favorite musher is taking longer than usual, maybe traveling slower, uh, stopping more often, resting at weird times, it's not time to fret, is it? It's not. You know, they do say that you can lose the race in the first couple of days, but you certainly can't win it in the first couple of days. Um, You know, there are some teams that they do for the first day to two or even three days they just eat up the trail really fast um, and then you see them peter out they don't recover as well after their mandatory 24 hour plus uh, time differential and they slow and they end up placing in the low 20s or even further back even though it seems like they were dominating earlier and everybody's like oh my gosh Um, We've seen that even with uh, former champions trying a new strategy and getting out ahead, especially when they're uh, one of the first teams out of the gate because they want to get that buffer so that they leave around the same time as some of those that don't have to add an hour or two on their time differential. And it just never works out for them. So I wouldn't be concerned about it. I know that uh, Jason Mackey's wife posted on their kennel page 
uh, telling fans to calm down. They've already been inundated with messages going, what's wrong with Jason? Why is he sitting back so long? Jason is a veteran of this race. Jason comes from a long line of Iditarod mushers. Jason knows what he's doing. Don't, you know, don't panic just because he's decided to stay in a checkpoint longer because it's freaking almost 50 degrees outside in the sun. Plus, you're going to be running dogs. That's not conducive to going where you want to go and conserving that energy to hit the coast and really eat up trails. So, I know it's hard. I know we call this a race, and it is a race, but you have to remember it's a thousand miles or almost a thousand miles. It's gonna, it, it, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's gonna take some time for them to get in a rhythm and find that, that happy speed. And the weather and the trail throw in changes to that strategy all the time. So I'm not seeing anything on the tracker or in video form that makes me concerned about anyone running just yet. Yeah. And I've also seen some other comments about why are they stopping just for a few minutes and for folks that are new to following the race, especially if they're following the trackers, you will see teams stop every two or three hours for a few minutes. And often that is time to get off the sled, do a quick uh, snacking of the dogs and then, you know, readjust their gear and all of that stuff and then get back on the trail. It is very common in a long distance race that you do stop about every three hours or so. That's sort of my goal when I'm out running dog teams is to stop and snack and definitely just get that uh, very quick rest in and then keep on going. It is not like it is was in the old days where everybody sort of does that equal run rest schedule for years it was six on six off six on six off and then it went to eight on eight off and then now we're at a much different strategy than we are before there are teams that like to do that equal run rest schedule and sometimes those checkpoints do not fit into that uh, that strategy i saw a story i believe it was on uh, Katie Joe Dieter's page about her mm-hmm. strategy that is developing where she's decided not to do a lot of stopping and checkpoints. And she has a strategy where she has three bags, three checkpoint bags. The first bag is how she needs to take care of the dogs right away. The second bag is what she's going to use on the trail. And the third bag is extras. And that's a great strategy to use. Everything is all dialed in, especially as you're moving down the trail and sleep deprivation and mental fatigue comes into play. You always know what's in bag one, bag two, and bag three, and you're not stumbling around not only in the dark, but potentially without a couple of days sleep. And it looks like that's what she's doing. She sort of breathes through both Yetna and Squintna and is on her way as well. So Tony, let's talk a little bit about where folks are at the time we're recording. We're recording this a little bit earlier today. I have class tonight down at APU. So this is a little bit earlier report than we like, but in first place currently is Jesse Holmes, Brent Sass, Richie Deal, Kelly Maxner, Millie Porcelid, Nick Petit, Pete Kaiser, and Matt Failer are the top eight. And then bringing up the rear of the pack is Eric Kelly, Gerhardt Theart, I believe is how you say it, Joanna Jagow, Jason Mackey, and Jed Stevenson. And then everybody else is sort of there 
in the middle. And when you have a very small pack like this, there is a lot of folks that are sort of vying for those positions. And I think that's going to be uh, the theme of this race. I think we're going to see a lot of movement, especially in the middle. Don't you, Tony? Most definitely. And just as we went to recording, Eric Kelly is actually our current Red Lantern. He was the last into the Finger Lake checkpoint. So everyone is at least to Finger Lake. Most have moved or most are moving on to Roan. And like you said, there's a, about eight or nine teams as I'm looking at the GPS tracker. Um, out on the trail. Jesse Holmes did run uh, about 11 miles past uh, Rainy Pass. He's now resting. Brent Sass and Richie Deal are resting just about a mile ahead of him. Not surprising, Sass doesn't like to stay in checkpoints in any of his races unless absolutely necessary. Typically, one of his mandatory rests is the only time you'll see him at a checkpoint. So everything seems to be going about what you would expect for the top competitive teams. Uh, this is a smaller roster, sure. It's a very competitive roster, but it's a competitive roster, I think, more for those middle and back-of-the-pack mushers to really kind of step it up and see where they can jockey for a new placement um, with a smaller field. So everything's going pretty well. I, I think the only complaint that one might have is the weather and how that's going to turn the trail into uh, a little less solid, a little more punchy. We are seeing a few return dogs already. Um, nothing really big to report on that. Most of it is sure so shoulders and wrists, which on a slightly warm, punchy trail, you're going to see quite a bit of that as we all do. You know, you step wrong and suddenly you you know, you're not up to your best. And instead of forcing the issue, especially when it's a dog who can't speak English to you to tell you that they're not having it, um, you just have to watch those body signals and say, you know what, you did a good job. Congratulations. You finished your race. Uh, go home, get, get some massages and some good little snacks in your belly, and we'll see you in a couple days. Tony, you had told me right before airtime that there are some reports coming out with temperatures at about 45 degrees. And a little bit from a musher's perspective, dogs typically find their best rhythm somewhere in about positive 10 to negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit. That's sort of that magic spot for a dog team, at least in my 30 years or so of running dogs. We're seeing 45 degrees-ish up near Rainy Pass. Is that right? <laughs> That's what was reported. Um, Liz Failer and Bruce Lee are in that checkpoint. And if you have Insider, they've been doing little um, updates on the live coverage. And they had reported that in the checkpoint of Rainy Pass at about 10, 10.30 this morning, it was already 40 degrees, having been negative temperatures before the the sun came up over the mountain. Um, and then Greg Heister said just at about noon that they were predicting that with the sun beating down on the trail um, between Finger Lake and Roan, it would be in spots up to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. 
Yeah, very, very warm. I have seen dogs just shut down when it gets that temperature because mm-hmm. it's it's like running a marathon with a parka on, you know, in, in human terms. It's just not a fun way to go. And that's why you'll often see a lot of movement on the trail in the middle of the night. And that's what truly makes this a 24-hour race. And we got some interesting answers to our questions about their strategy on where and how people watch the race. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. Just a quick trail um, mileage update, if you will, since most of the teams are in or out of Finger Lake or in or out of Rainy Pass. Finger Lake is listed at 123 miles from the start and Rainy Pass is at 153. So cruising down the trail, as they say, here in the first 24 hours or so. Any other trail updates or stories, news, et cetera, to report before we jump into our musher of the day? You know, like I said, it's been pretty quiet um, for the most part. I've been um, just kind of following the GPS, not a lot of movement. It seems to be everybody's jockeying for those little spots that they all like to stop in uh, traditionally. So nothing big or new changing to strategies with a smaller uh, roster. It's just been same old, same old in that way. Not a lot of surprises yet. Uh, I did see that someone uh, on the, I did a live chat. Uh, if you're an insider and you watch the live feed, there's a little live chat box. They were talking about how there were no rainy pass ponies um, being noticed on the live feed, which again, should not be shocking. The only reason we even knew about that pony mafia was because during the gold loop, they returned and came back through that area. And so the, the horses that are used to just going in and eating um, the leftovers, uh, hadn't they, they didn't read the schedule and know that dogs were coming back. And so that's why we saw them uh, play a part in Iditarod, but shouldn't have that problem here. And there's still quite a few teams working their way to Rainy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I love that story. It's by far... One of my favorite stories of of, of Iditarod <laughs> ever, and you know, both you and I have been following this for a very long time. So let's jump into our musher of the day. We're talking about Jennifer Labar. She is a rookie. She's currently living in Healy, Alaska. Her bib is number thirteen. What do you know about Jennifer? Well, it looks like she just made it into Rainy Pass, according to the GPS. I'm not sure if it's been updated but i just wanted to give her a shout out that she's doing really great uh running up the trail she is co-owner of rock and ridge kennel with her husband andrew they um have been adventuring together since 2003 according to their bio jen is an animal lover through and through and the sled dog obsession began during their first winter when she took a job working for a long distance racing musher uh Interestingly enough, she's married to a fan of snow machining. So I think that's kind of an interesting contrast because you've got a dog musher and you've got an iron dog. A little bit of, you know, a competition there. As we know that Iditarod was really (laughs) created to kind of bring back Alaska to its roots and and kind of get away from those iron dogs. She... um, she, let's see, like I said, she's in Rainy Pass now. Um, they have done several multi-week trips and take camper camping and comfort very seriously. 
Uh, they like to have a good time and enjoy showing others a good time, too. If you look on their website, it's rockinridgekennel.com. They give you some bios about their dogs. They've got their tours and their sponsorships. Um, you can meet the dogs, and they've got a blog, it looks like, about the Iditarod 2023 run. She um, She's really excited. She's been trying to run this race. Uh, she started working on it. On, uh, sorry. Uh, the tongue has not woken up from this weekend. She started doing mid-distance races in 2017, so working on those qualifiers for five or six years. Um, and she she's making it happen, and she's right there in the mix. Uh, again, with it being so early on in the race, you can't really predict where she's going to shake out at the end, but she's staying right there in the middle of the pack. She's not back behind with a lot of the others, so she's, she's kind of sneaking in there. I kind of feel like uh, she's just one of those quiet rookies that you don't really know where to place her and what to expect, and so it's looking like she's having one of those solid runs that you all... You always want to see for a rookie. Yeah, I, I'm reading her bio as well. Interestingly enough, she moved here from Tennessee. Uh, that's a, a mm -hmm. out-of-the-way place, I guess, if you will, for somebody <laughs> to get involved in this type of an event. And she was raised with bird dogs. I think that's pretty cool. So she probably has that hunting, outdoorsy type, type background. It looks like she did something like the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Coast Trail or something like that, hiking for a thousand miles. So I'm sure she knows very well how to pace herself. And as you mentioned, Tony, she's been doing this, at least her qualifiers and whatnot, since 2017. She definitely flew under the radar. This is not a musher that I'd heard really anything about. She truly did slide under the radar. Had you heard much about Jennifer in years past? Um, not a whole lot. Uh, I followed her on social media because she was running those mid-distance races. Um, she, I believe, is more of a middle-of-the-pack even for those middle, those mid-distance races. Um, always has really fun stuff posted on her kennel Facebook page. So I always saw her stuff, but it really didn't click that this is Jennifer Labar. She's going to run. I did her out in 2023 um, until, of course, we started really uh, prepping for this year's race. Um, so really didn't have a big feel on how she would do. Um, again, I'm not completely surprised where she is. She seems to be right there um, where she has run in mid-distance races. It will be really interesting to see once we get past that 300, 350 mileage, how her team handles the longer distance. Right. And she's currently living in Healy, Alaska, which is just north of Denali National Park. And if you've ever driven through that part of the state, they call that Glitter Gulch area. That's where all the tourist traps are, <laughs> if you will. And then if you just go through the little gorge there, then up the road, I guess 10 or 15 miles or so, you run into a very small community of Healy. And for folks that are familiar with the story or the movie Into the Wild, where that young man trekked out to a bus and decided to say, this is it, I'm done. Uh, that is very near this town of Healy. Community, I guess it is more than a town. 
You know what I always like, Tony, I know we've mentioned this before, are the kennel names for uh, these guys, Rockin' Ridge Kennels. I would imagine that has something to do with uh, the base of the Alaska Range right there near Healy and Denali and all that. I'm sure you agree. Yeah, and, you know, she's probably rocking the ridges right now. There's um, a little bit of a lip or a ridge um, that they take up right after they leave. I believe it's Finger Lake um, before they head up uh, into the mountains a little bit further. So uh, it looks like she's rocking it right now. And I, I hope that we see that continue and that she has one heck of a rookie run. There you go. Jennifer Labar. Check her out on social media. Follow her if you like and uh, keep tabs on her for the rest of the race for sure. Remember, we do this musher profile every night and we never let you know who it is to keep you guessing. So who knows who it would be tomorrow. So let's jump over into our Identic question. Last night's question was similar to the night before. We asked what the strategy was for following the race and a little bit about fantasy mushing. And we asked, so are you a night owl? Are you checking it out all day at work? Do you have multiple screens going? What do you do to follow the race over the next couple of weeks? And can you recall a couple of the responses, Tony? Yeah, I also added, you know, how do you pick your fantasy team to that question just because it felt like it was a good time to ask. And um, there's a lot of strategy that goes on into not only how you watch the race, but how you follow it, who you choose. Uh, I had some people tell me that they choose to follow uh, mushers based on the name of their kennels or just the mushers name in general. If it's a fun name to say, they're going to follow them. Um, A lot of them follow different mushers um, and so kind of pick their their times to pay attention to when those mushers are are making their move down the trail. So they rest when they notice that the little tracker is resting and then they, they come back, jump back onto following when that little tracker turns green. Uh, They, you know, they're, they're very good about looking and, and watching and seeing who those, you know, their, their people are, but they also, you know, it's, Some of them are saying, I do it based on a vibe. Um, But as far as watching, many of them, um, you know, they say that they've got the screen with Insider. Then they've got um, either they're using Anchorage Daily News, the Iditapod, us, uh, a combination of all of that to continue to follow. Um, They're also really using social media. Many kennels were named as who people are following to get an idea of not only that kennel's strategy, but many of the kennels also post, uh, especially those competitive kennels, they post about the competition around them. You'll see that with Stump Jumpin' Kennel for Wade Mars. Sophie, she's doing a a heck of a job uh, given her insights uh, based on what she's heard Wade say about the competition, but also giving her two cents. We see that oftentimes with the CVs blogging. I haven't seen Danny blog too much, but he doesn't normally blog until the race gets going. Uh, So in the next couple of days, I expect that he won't be able to sit still long and he'll be jumping in and giving his opinions on how everything is going. Um, So that's basically how everything is. I do apologize. We had that really late recording and now we're recording early today. So I didn't get as many answers back as we have the last couple of nights. Keep sending those in, guys. We'll continue to share those as we see them. 
Um, you know, it's, it's really great to see that, first of all, I'm not the only one that has multiple monitors going that, you know, sneaking time at work to follow the race or have a monitor dedicated to following the race while I'm working. Um, so it's, it's another way to show just how connected this community is, even when we can't all be at the same spot. So I am interested in fantasy mushing. It has no, never been something I have signed up for. I am a big time fantasy football fan. We have uh, our own little football league here with our family. So how does that work? Is there real money involved? Uh, when does it go on? Is it a, a full season deal or just Iditarod or what? Um, so there's no real money involved unless your pack um, decides to do that on their own, but you don't have to throw money at it to sign up. Uh, it was started by Danny Spivey back in, I want to say 2013. Um, and it's grown into its own mo monster with David Hunt being the um, man behind the curtain doing all of the coding for the website and whatnot. Typically, they follow several of the big qualifying races um, and some of the bigger uh, races like they've done some of the European races as well as the John Bear Grease, the Yukon Quest and then the Cuscos, typically one of them, Copper Basin, another. Uh, this year they had to kind of scale it back uh, as David was busy doing, um, I believe he was doing a pilot license testing and that sort of thing. So it, it's been scaled back, but they always follow Iditarod. That's what started it. It was really fantasy Iditarod. Now it's fantasy mushing. Um, you choose, you're given, quote unquote, uh, gold to then purchase or draft seven teams and some people take it really seriously you're going for it they're given values and points based on their past experience uh, in racing how long they've been mushing that sort of thing and then they are awarded points for every checkpoint they make every award they get at the end of the race and whether or not they've jumped in the standings from their previous years. So rookies are always really good to choose if they are, if you believe that they'll be quick to get along the trail, they'll rack up a lot of points that way because they don't have anything, anything past in their past to be competing against. And then you'll have someone like choosing Brent Sass. Yes, he'll get a lot of points for being first into checkpoints or first into winning possibly again. Um, but he can't get those bonus points for, you know, improving upon what he did last year since he's the reigning champion. So there is a little bit of math and strategy involved if you really take it seriously. I don't take it that seriously personally. I, um, I, like, to, I like to try and guess who's going to be top five and who will get me a lot of points, um, but I just pretty much randomly choose, you know, I choose a couple of rookies that I think will do really well, choose, um, you know, one of the top names to hopefully get me a lot of points just for being first into places. And then I just, whatever gold I have left over, I make up the rest of my team. So there's no real strategy for me. And it's just a lot of fun. It gives, it's given a lot of people the incentive and encouragement to follow the mid distance races, which is what Danny CV was really hoping for. He wanted all of these mushers, not just Dallas Seavey, Brent Sass, Nick Petit, 
you know, the big names, Jeff King, he wanted people to start learning about the mid of, middle to the back of the pack as well, because that does play into how fantasy mushing works. I like it. Of course, it's too late to sign up this year, but I'm definitely going to keep that in mind for next year. And hey, if there's no money involved and it's just bragging rights or <laughs> or um, yep. uh, joshing with your buddies on social media, I think that's right up my alley for sure. So before we get into today's question, Tony, I wanted to do a very quick shout out over on our Instagram messages. Over the last couple of days, I've gotten a few messages now of people that have been listening to the show and want to be on after we're done with Iditarod. Just this morning, uh, the vice president of the John Bear Grease Marathon reached out to me and she said, hey, I would love to do an interview on your show to talk about the Bear Grease. And evidently, she also does the social media for that race. And they do an excellent job. We talked a lot about that mm-hmm. during the uh, coverage of the Bear Grease. So look forward to that, guys that are listening. We will have uh, the vice president of the Bear Grease on after we're done with our Iditarod coverage here in just a couple of weeks. So, Tony, we have an interesting question for today, and I'm really curious on how people will answer this one. And it is, who is your favorite musher to follow? And I am sure we're going to get answers that say, oh, well, I don't have a favorite. I like them all. You know, those (laughs) typical answers that people get. But how can we hold their feet to the fire and really say, if it was be all end all, if you could only follow one musher, who would it be? I think that's a tough uh, hoe to climb, but I, I think that we could we could narrow it down, couldn't we? I think so, and I think just since this is our Iditarod coverage, I'm going to even narrow it a little bit further. Who are you choosing to follow in this race? Because otherwise, I know exactly what most of our Twitter followers are going to answer. Um, I have a good idea what most of those followers will now answer if we just narrow it down to Iditarod. Um, but just to keep it in theme of our coverage, I kind of want to that I think that'll help um, kind of narrow it down because we've only got 33 names they get to pick from. <laughs> Very good. So the I did a question of the day is who is your favorite musher to follow that is in this year's I did a rod and you can only pick one. I think that that uh, will will make people think a little bit. Uh, Tony posts those on social media, on Facebook and Twitter. It is hashtag I did a question. You can always tag that if you like. And otherwise, uh, let us know your answers and we will share some of them on the show tomorrow. So tomorrow, uh, we will be back on during our normal time, a little bit later than today. And we're going to start talking about uh, strategy and progress and when people are going to take 24s and all that sort of stuff. What else is on your plate for the next day or so? Uh, trying to follow the race while also trying to catch up on work since I took two days off for I did a rod. Now I have to play catch up. So I'm looking forward to hearing about the stories. We should start seeing stories um, about the gorge. Uh, we'll see uh, some of the front runners hit the burn in the next couple of days. Uh, should be sometime tomorrow if uh, all goes according to what 
it looks like they're headed for. So um, a lot of interesting stories start happening in about day two and a half, day three. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Me as well. I always love those stories there because it seems like that most of the stories are developing in this first third of the race, uh, you know, because it's it's a very uh, difficult trail, especially for rookies. And remember, guys, we have about a third of the field that have never been on this trail before. So they're going down the steps the first time. They're going through the gorge the first time. They're going through the area that they call the burn the first time. They're stopping at these bigger checkpoints like Takatna and McGrath for the first time. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. So definitely tune in, subscribe to us wherever you're listening to this podcast, and you will always know what time they drop because they'll be right there on your phone or your computer or whatever. And if you feel inclined, make sure you head on over to patreon.com slash firstpawmedia and become a patron and you will get some exclusive perks for doing so. We would really appreciate that support because Tony and I just do this out of the goodness of our heart. Nobody is paying us a salary. Uh, we don't have a fancy budget. We're just rocking and rolling <laughs> as we see fit because this is our passion and it's what we like to do. So otherwise, we will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.